Hey, welcome everybody. Really good to have you, especially taking time out of your busy Groundhog Day celebration to join us here. Glad you could break away from that for a few minutes. Welcome if it's your first time. Just relax, enjoy the service. Hopefully you'll say, man, it wasn't too bad. I think I'll try coming back sometime. We'd love to see that because we have good news for you, man. We have news of a God that loves you, that wants you to be with him forever and has provided the way for that to happen by sending his son to offer you the opportunity to trust in him for your salvation, but that's only good news if you're aware of it and if you act upon it. And not everybody does. Not, not everybody wants to hear that. Not everybody cares about it. And frankly, some people prefer bad news, obviously, because we've got 24-7 news channels, right, just pumping out bad news constantly. And we tune in all day to hear terrible things going on all over the world, and even the good stuff. They'll find a way to make it sound bad. They'll put a spin on it to just irritate you, rile you up, get you all depressed and crazy. But we're the other guys. We're the alternative. We are the good news people. We have good news to share with you that God loves you and, and wants you to be with Him and we hope that you'll, you'll want to be a part of that, you know, because um, as a believer in Jesus, we, we can't help but tell you about it. And I know sometimes we Christians can get a little bit, you know, pushy about it. It's like, why are Christians always trying to push their religion on people? Well, I don't think we intend to be pushy. It's just that we found something so incredible, we can't help but tell you. We're compelled by the love of God to share our faith with you. It's like if we didn't care, then we wouldn't tell you. If, if if we didn't want you to hear this good news, we wouldn't invite you here. But it's because we, we do love you. We want you to experience this like we have. In fact, we're not only compelled to do it, we're commanded to do it by Jesus. You know this in Mark 16, 15, Jesus says this. In fact, we'll all read it out loud together. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. What's the gospel? That's the good news of salvation that Jesus brings us. And that, that good news is available for all people, all creation. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from, whether you live far away from us or you're near to us or you're, you're very different than we are or you're very similar to us. We'll talk about those in the upcoming weeks. But we're in this three-part series uh, about how this good news is for everybody. And we see this begin in the book of Acts. We're heading back to Acts to see how this good news is for all, right? That Jesus said, go into all the world. But they didn't at first. They didn't get it. They kind of kept it to themselves, right? And those first Christians were all Jewish people who didn't quite understand yet that they were supposed to spread this good news everywhere. And they, they eventually they did, and they went on these missionary journeys. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 2, that God wants how many? All people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, and how many? One mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. So that's the good news, that God has provided this way through Christ, the sacrifice of his son. It's only through him that it's available. But we can't just be concerned about the people nearby and, and that are close to us and like us. We've got to be concerned about people all over the world, which is why, to that end, as a church, we support missions. We want to get the message out all over the world, which is we not only send people, but we financially support them, which, again, here we are. This is our third year. We're going to do a celebration of generosity this month, coming up in a couple weeks. Everything leading up to February 15th and 16th, that whole week, everything that we give is going to be given away to mission organizations to help spread the message all over the world. So I'll tell you about that a little bit later on. But, you know, the idea is... We, we think that, like, just because everybody is in church that they're a Christian. You ever have that impression? Like, if, if you're here, 
you must be a Christian. But that's not true. Obviously, we've already said that we have guests here that we've invited. And if you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. That's why we invited you. Uh, but there are people who go to church maybe all their life and never really become Christian. I mean, they kind of think they are. They have all the outward, uh, you know, forms of it, but not any inward heart to it. They, they know the lingo. They know the, the routines and all that. But they've never made it their own personal faith. And it's, you know, people go to church for a lot of reasons. Some just out of family tradition. I mean, good reasons. They, they, they enjoy the inspiring music and, you know, hopefully the helpful talks and just a positive environment, especially for their kids. But they've never really got it. They've never put their own trust in receiving Jesus. So here we are as a nation. We're still a far more religious nation than most everywhere else in the world. And yet it's no surprise to say, and nobody's shocked to hear that church attendance is in decline all over the country. People are attending church less and less. Even Christians are showing up less and less to church, which is not a good sign. But it's not necessarily all a bad sign because I think some of that is getting away from this kind of just religious outward form of Christianity that we've grown accustomed to in this country, right? In fact, some people think if you're born American, then you're born Christian, right? Which is not true. In America, it, it used to be seen as more of a respectable thing to go to church. I mean, if you were a good citizen, if you were a good person, you went to church. And so there was this kind of civic religiosity in our culture. In some ways that was good, but in, in many ways it's not. Because now it's no longer something that's preferred that you be a churchgoer, right? It's almost in this more secular culture that's hostile to genuine biblical Christianity. I mean, it kind of costs you something if you go to church now. You're, you're looked down on in a lot of ways. So I think what's happened is a lot of those kind of casual uh, cultural, cosmetic kinds of believers are not here anymore. They've kind of drifted away. And so if you go to church now, it's a little bit more of a serious thing. It's more of a, of a heart thing with God. The ones who just had a little bit of religion, they're not bothering with it anymore. It's, here, here's what I'm saying. Churches are full of people who some think they're okay with God because they're religious in some way. They're spiritual, whatever that means. And look, Jesus warned against that, didn't he? He said, just saying you're a believer doesn't mean you really are one. You can be sincere, but you can also be sincerely mistaken. Because you're not really what Jesus would call being born again. The idea of, it's not like some wild, radical, extreme thing. It's the idea of, like, I have a new heart, a new spirit. I have a new life that Jesus has given me. Churches are full of people who don't have that, that they're not sure about their salvation. They haven't really trusted in Jesus, but they're trusted in their own good deeds and good intentions. And then, frankly, they're just people who don't go to church at all. They're unchurched because they think, I don't need it. I'm, I'm good enough as I am. They may not say that out loud, but, you know, those people who go to church, they need the, uh, the structure. They need all the, the crutch of Christianity to make them good people, but I don't need that. And these are, these are wonderful people. I mean, these are people you'd want to be your next-door neighbors. They're, uh, they, you want them co coaching your little league, right? I mean, they give you the shirt off their back. They're people who, you know, say, say even they would believe in God. They 
may even respect the Bible as the good book and follow some of its principles and, and morals. They may even look up to Jesus as a great example, but they, they don't embrace a personal saving faith. There's a difference between having a religion and having a right relationship with God. So let's get back to our passage. Let's head back into the book of Acts. So if you're carrying today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a free New Testament out at the, the guest VIP area or Info Central. But of course, you can look it up online anytime. Open your Bible app. We put it on the screen for you to read along as well. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And uh, in this passage, we're, we're seeing that there's nothing new about this. Christians from the very beginning have needed a kick in the pants to get out and share the good news of Jesus. Yes, it, it spread rapidly and quickly, but let's face it, sometimes we just kind of sit around and assume somebody else is going to do it for us. Again, those first Christians all came from a Jewish background, Jewish by race, Jewish by religion, and Jesus comes along and blows their mind, and they yes, this is that... Jewish Messiah we've been waiting for all these years. We've been following these Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. They talked about a Messiah. This must be the guy. But they still had trouble letting go of their Jewish practices. Even though Jesus came to fulfill all those. You know, he completed the Old Covenant with all his rituals and rules and all that. And brought us a new and better covenant that we're under. He superseded the old with the new. But they still were having trouble grasping that, especially with that exclusivity they had as the chosen people. We are God's people. And so Jesus is great. We believe in him. But you know what? If you want to become a Christian first, you've got to become a Jew. You've got to first practice Judaism, and then you can become a Christian. So they weren't getting it. The, the first Christians were all Jewish. Even though Jesus said, go to all creation, they either didn't believe it or they just it didn't sink in because this is meant just for the chosen people, not the Gentile world. So God has to do something radical here, something miraculous to give them a kick in the pants to get out there and start taking it to all creation. So he, he said, I'm going to pick the very first guy. This is going to be the very first Gentile who will become a Christian. His name's Cornelius. Verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So he is, he is a, uh, a good guy. He's a religious guy, Jewish, what they would call a God-fearer, which means he hadn't fully converted to Judaism yet. Um, it, sometimes they would call these guys gate proselytes, which, you know, proselyte is somebody who converts. They, were, they could go into the synagogue because they believed in the one true God, which is interesting, by the way. Because you think, here's a Roman military officer. Of all people, this should be somebody following the religious paganism of his Roman culture, right? Worshipping all these mythological gods and goddesses. But instead, he chooses to worship the god of the Israelites. This is the nation that the Romans are occupying. They're dominating them and oppressing them. You think this Roman military guy would choose the gods of the winners, not the god of the losers. But he does. So these gate proselytes, the idea is, it's like they'd be standing at the gate of the temple. You know, the Jewish temple where only Jews and full converts could go in. Nobody was allowed in. So they, they're close. They're almost there. But they're not yet Jewish. So Cornelius is this devout, good guy, 
giving money to God's people. By all accounts, this, he looks like he's right with God. But he didn't know he needed a savior. He didn't know anything about Jesus yet. And so God sees this man's heart and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick him. He's going to be the first one. It's not enough just to be a good guy. It's not enough to be a religious guy, even a monotheistic believer. Everybody needs Jesus. So here's the dramatic part, beginning in verse 3. One day, about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Well, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, I stop there and say, God already sent this guy an angel. Why doesn't the angel just tell him the good news about Jesus? You know why? Because God uses you and me. Isn't that cool that we... He wants us to be his messengers, the ones who have experienced salvation, right? So when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. All right, so uh, this guy is, is getting his whole world shaken up by this, this angel, and, and Meanwhile, God is about ready to shake up Peter's whole world. Because Peter is just as messed up, just as guilty as everybody else. He's not taking the good news to the Gentiles either. So verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while, you ever do that where you're praying and like, you get distracted? Like, I'm hungry. Like, it, yeah, okay, we're not alone. It's, it's okay. Uh, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheep being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, for I am a vegan. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I have... N- it's close, though. He says... I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I'm kosher, Lord. Come on. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. (laughs) He said, all right, what's going on with this? What's the deal with all the animals? Well, they're a metaphor. There's something deeper going on here. First of all, you've got to understand... The Jews were set apart. They were distinct and different from all the other peoples. And one of the ways was through their dietary laws. You know, if, if you were Gentile, you could eat whatever you want. But if you were Jewish, there were certain foods that were clean, others that were unclean. The clean ones were acceptable for food uh, or for sacrifice. But God said, these other animals, no. They're not clean. They're not kosher. They're not acceptable. They're not pure. So don't eat these certain kinds of birds and reptiles and no camels, you know, don't, no camel drumsticks for dinner, none of that. No dolphins or shellfish or frogs. Okay, oh, that's fine, God, I can deal with that. <laughs> no frogs, yeah, I'm good. No pigs, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not go crazy here. No bacon, no pulled pork, no sausage, no pepperoni on my pizza. All right, let's not, no, 
uh, you can see why not everybody fully converted to Judaism. Like that's, you know, let's not go crazy with our religion here. So this is a big deal. And here's, here's why it has deeper meaning. For centuries, the Jews had considered Gentiles as not kosher. They were not clean. They were not pure or acceptable to God, which is true. But the whole role of the Jewish nation was supposed to be a light to the world to lead them out of their paganism and idolatry into the faith of the one true God. But they blew it. They failed in that mission. They became so different and distinct that they isolated themselves from the world and they had no social contact with Gentiles. God said, that's not what I intended. I never wanted you to be so cut off from the world that you don't share the good news. Do you not understand? This is for everybody. And now that Jesus has come, you've got to get out there. This is for people who believe in pagan religions, tribal religions, Roman mythology, Greek mythology, Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shinto, Sikhism, Taoism, Confucianism. There wasn't any Islam back then yet. That hadn't come along. But the gospel is for Muslims. The gospel is for Jews. It's for everybody. It doesn't matter how religious or irreligious somebody is. Everybody is a sinner and everybody needs a savior. And only Jesus can do that. Only he can make you kosher. He makes you clean. Acceptable to God. So God's breaking down all those barriers between people, between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus fulfilled all that. He set it aside. Here's what happens to us today. Sometimes, you ever notice Christians get called out for being hypocrites? Like, you don't practice all the Bible. You just pick and choose. Look at all those laws in the Old Testament about you can't eat pork and you can't eat shellfish. You don't follow those. You, you come out here with all your rules about you can't have sex with this person or that group or whatever and you have all these prohibitions but you're not practicing these other laws. Hypocrites. What they don't understand including even many Christians is we're not under any of those Old Testament laws anymore. None of them. They've all been superseded and fulfilled by Jesus. What we follow now is the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, the new covenant. And guess what? All those sexual prohibitions are still in there. But none of the dietary laws. So load up that pizza tonight with all the pepperoni and sausage you want. There's no problem with that. Well, you may have a problem with it tomorrow. But you will not have a problem with God. It's okay. So God's not just changing dietary laws here. He's changing our whole world view. Getting us out of our cocoons here, out into the world. And Peter, he can't handle this. He is, Lord, no, he's so resistant. God has to tell him three times. So let's finish the passage, verses 17 through 33. It goes on to say, uh, while Peter was wandering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Notice, at the gate. They don't go in the house. Why? Because they're not kosher. Gentiles were not supposed to go into a Jewish home. They called out, asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Whoa, that's a big deal. Jews were not supposed to invite Gentiles into their house. 
So already he's broken through that barrier. And the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And by the way, you know why I'm always telling you, invite your friends, invite your relatives, invite your family to church? Because that's the way it's done. There's our pattern. You are most responsible for the people closest to you, the people who know you and, and love you, well, hope, you know, tolerate you, the people who are around you, your networks. That's who you reach out to and you say, come with me. You've got to experience this. You've got to hear this. This could change your life. So oh, I can't do that. You do it all the time with movies and restaurants. Come on. You can do it with church. You can do it with your faith. All right, so verse 25, as Peter entered the house, whoop, that's another big deal. Because Jews did not go into the home of Gentiles. But he blows right past that barrier. And it says, after he went into the house of this Gentile, get this, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in what? Reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Can I point out something here? Throughout history and even today, there are many religious leaders that expect you to bow down before them and kiss their ring and call them by their titles, reverend. And Peter humbly says, no, no, don't do that. I'm no better than you are. I'm just like you. I mean, what makes anyone think that they ought to be reverenced more than Peter himself with the fancy titles and names and hats and you name it? Just making a little point. But I'll go on. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you're well aware that it's a sin against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You're not kosher. <laughs> I can't do that. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection after a while. <laughs> May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, and so now he's just going to repeat what happened. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes, angel, stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. We're not going to hear that today. We'll hear that later. But here's the thing. God has sent you and me to spread the good news. Not angels. You and me. We're his partners in this. And we are to go to the Gentiles, if you will. The unbelievers. The unchurched people of the world. But listen again. Just because people go to church doesn't mean they know Jesus. Uh, so we don't automatically assume a churchgoer is a Christian. Um, we're not just out trying to get people to switch churches. No, no, no. It's not about that at all. But we want to make sure everybody has a relationship with Jesus because religion doesn't save. In fact, you may have to lose your religion to receive Jesus. 
So we want to reach unchurched people, but let's also not forget about all the de-churched people, the people who used to go to church but don't anymore. For whatever reason, good or bad, they've given up hope on church, they've gotten disappointed or disillusioned in some way, and, and they've left. And it happens all the time. Millions of people are like that all around us. Maybe you're one of them. And it could be that maybe they never really experienced a relationship with God. They got a, just enough a dose of religion to get inoculated against the real thing. And we want to make sure people get the real thing. And so if, if you left church, maybe you grew up in church, you went, but you know, for whatever reason you dropped out, you became a young adult and you moved away, and now you're back giving it another try. This time, let's make sure you get the real thing. Here's a simple way, I think, to figure that out. It's religion versus receiving Jesus. You know, there are a lot of religions in the world, and they teach different things, way different things. But all religions have one thing in common. They all teach that you've got to be saved by what you do. That you get right with whatever deity, God, gods there are out there by your own efforts. Salvation by good works. Uh, they all teach that in one form or another. If it's practicing meditation, if it's attending services, if it's going through rituals, if it's saying prayers, if it's giving money, it all comes back to what you do. So religions may make you a better person outwardly in some ways, but they can't save your soul. Because religion says do. Do this, do that, do more. Jesus comes along and he says what? Done. Done. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. Nothing you can do to wipe out your sins. Nothing you can add to what I've already done for you. You've just got to receive it as a gift. That's what amazing grace is. It's not what you do. It's what I've done for you. The good news is I've already paid the penalty for your sin. You deserve, you know, you're trying to work your way and deserve your way in. You, you know what you deserve? You deserve separation from God. You deserve condemnation. You deserve hell. But I took that for you. And all you've got to do is receive it. Put your trust in me. Turn from your sin. Be baptized into me to, to start this new life, to be cleansed. Be made kosher, you know, declared pure before my God. I've done that all for you. So the big idea for us is to encourage people to receive Jesus instead of relying on their own religion. Religion won't do it. We want to share the good news with people around us, right here in Down River, Wind Down River to Christ, close friends, family, all that. In fact, you may not know this, you've never seen these before, but these are out in our lobby, so we're highlighting them for you. This little card that says, seven-point checklist for sharing your faith. Just some good little tips on how to reach out to people around you. It's not, you know, everything comprehensive, but it's kicking the pants. This will, this will help get you going to do that. But we don't care just about the people around us. We also care about the people all over the nation. We care about people all over the world. And so that's why we are, we believe in and support missions. We're supposed to go, but to the places we can't personally go, we send and support those who do. So this celebration of generosity that's coming up in a couple of weeks, we want you to do your best to give to the cause of Christ. Again, not if you're a guest here. We always say we don't expect you to give anything. We do this for you. But if, if your heart is in the gospel, 
where, if your heart is where God's heart is, then it would be in missions. And so this gives you a chance to personally show your support by giving away everything that week to these mission organizations. I think we can do even better this year. Last year, I think we gave, we gave way more than we normally do that week. We gave like almost $65,000, which is awesome, but I think we can do even better than that this year. So let me remind you about the missions we support. We break them down into three categories. First is church planting. That's starting new churches. Secondly is compassion outreach. That's taking care of material and physical needs to direct people to Jesus. And third is global evangelism, which is all other forms of reaching out to people by sending ministers and missionaries around the world. So today, this first week, we'll talk real quick about church planting. We believe strongly in starting new churches, so much so that from day one, 28 years ago, we have been supporting church planting. Uh, we believe it's an effective way to reach people. I believe it so strongly. I came here and started South Point. And our hearts are totally in that. In fact, I did it through this mission that we support called NCCE, New Churches of Christ Evangelism. They helped get, get some startup funds going for this church. And they helped us get our second campus in Allen Park started up as well. And so uh, they, they're very active in our region around Michigan. Uh, a couple of years ago, they started Ubley Christian Church. You know, there's a place called Ubley up in the thumb. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to be from Ubley. Uh, but they're, they're doing great stuff up there on the west side of the state. Three years ago, they started the, the Lakes Church in Fruitport, doing great things there. So we're not only concerned about our own area here in Michigan around us, but we go north of the border, international, up to Canada. And we support a mission called Impact Canada, it, which is a very difficult area. I mean, Canada is a huge mission field, and they've started churches, for example, the Message Christian Church in Orangeville, Ontario. And um, they, they've started uh, uh, Emmaus Church, which is in Burlington, Ontario. and other. So real quick, a couple minutes, I want you to hear from the director of Impact Canada, Jim Toon. Usually people will ask me, well, why plant churches? Why don't we just work on revitalizing existing churches that are in decline or, you know, spending mission dollars in other ways? But it has been statistically proven again and again that new church plants are much more evangelistically potent than our existing churches. Uh, a church that's less than five years old typically experiences about 10 times the number of conversions of a church that is older than 10 years old uh, in the first 10 years of a church's life. I think partly because it's so charged and focused with an evangelistic DNA at that time, people aren't complacent, people haven't gotten stuck, and as a result, uh, the evangelistic potency is much more powerful. Uh, the, the other thing that new churches do is it reaches people groups that are often marginalized or neglected, or you might not see in the church you grew up in. It attracts the entrepreneurial, faith-driven, vision-oriented personality to deploy their gifts in ways that are pioneering and truly evangelistic. And of course, it's biblical. Uh, the Apostle Paul was the original church planter. Uh, his missionary journeys document his efforts that everywhere he went, uh, he started a revolution or a riot, one or the other, but he left churches behind in his wake. That's our goal too. Uh, that's how we're going to reach the world for Christ, is by men and women who care about neighborhoods, who care about reaching people, and are willing to step out in faith 
and pioneer, start something new and dream big for Jesus Christ. There's nothing that compares to new church work for that uh, whatsoever. So I, I really hope that you will put your heart where God's heart is Valentine's Day weekend. Put it into missions. Be praying for our missions on a regular basis. And be here for the next two weeks, and then be prepared to give that special offering. In fact, another way that you can support new church work, not only through giving, but through investing, we have with us today from the Church Development Fund, Mark Sensiman. He's going to be out in the lobby after the service. Connect with him if you would like to make a, an actual investment that pays you back, just like you would in any other kind of investment vehicle. Penny and I invested in this years ago because CDF helped us here at South Point build our buildings, you know, our facilities. And so that's what they do is they take your investment and put it into new churches like that. Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. They, they pay you a decent rate of return, but know that you're, you're getting new churches started or buildings built. Maybe start a little vacation fund or a little Christmas fund, but talk to Mark after the service. But let's bring it back to what's most important right now, and that's where you are with God. We want to make sure that you get the real thing today and not just a little bit of religion. I mean, what's it going to be for you? Have you received Jesus or are you just doing do-it-yourself religion? Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're religious or irreligious, how good or bad you've been. Nobody's perfect. And we all need a Savior. So let's pray about that. Father, we want to thank you for that amazing grace, that gift that we just received through faith in Jesus. Lord, that um, we, it, it begins with this admission, this confession that, my way is not the way. I can't save myself. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I need a Savior. And so I put my trust in Jesus. I turn from my sin. I want to be cleansed uh, in, in baptism. Uh, my sins washed away by His sacrifice. Lord, made clean, made kosher before You. And then, Father, we want to pray for those around us who need You. God, give us a kick in the pants today, right now, to, to, to care enough, to be bold enough to go and talk to them and invite them about the most important thing in our lives, the most important thing in the world. Lord, that you would, just like, you know, you sent, the, you sent the vision to Peter, the angel, to Cornelius. God, go before us, prepare the way, open their hearts, and give us the words to say. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, that, if you're already a believer, remember, you're a missionary. I know some of us, we like to do that thing like, my faith is a private thing, it's personal. No, it can't, that's not an option. God has called you to go to people. Uh, it doesn't matter, e even good religious people who don't realize they need it. And if you're somebody today who would like to take a, a step closer to God, to put your faith in Jesus, or you just have questions about it, I would encourage you to, to talk with the person who invited you, who brought you here. They would love a chance to hang out with you, maybe after church today, do some lunch or grab a coffee, and just talk about what you've experienced today. But even more so, if you would like to talk to somebody right now, I'm going to have my friends up here ready to answer your questions. Just come down and talk to them. Anytime while, while we're all singing after the service, they can pray for you. They can help you take your next step closer to God, whatever it is. So let's stand together and you feel free to come down.